Matthew chapter 24. And I knew the Gratuitous Brothers were going to be here today. And uh, what I, I sensed the Lord lead me to do something different. So, you know, normally we were going through the book of James and kind of doing these expositional studies, which I, I love, you know, and it's been a blessing. But I thought that today, um, and I'm going to be taking some time off too, so I thought before I, I get away, I wanted to share this uh, study with you guys. And, you know, what we see going on in the world today, you know, the things that we um, see, not only, you know, regarding eschatology, not, re or not only regarding the grand scheme of things, but just me as a pastor, seeing how many people are, are hurting. And, and that's why the title of the study is The Signs and Sighs of the times. I mean, there's a lot of people hurting. I, I, saw, I was thinking, you know, yesterday, I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, we should do something called the, the life in the day of a pastor and how many phone calls he gets uh, regarding marriages that are falling apart, how many uh, text messages he gets regarding prayer requests that are just huge, that are, that are just amazingly heartbreaking. You know, how many times we hear about people who are on suicide watch, this last week, you know, uh, another young man on suicide watch. Or this 14-year-old girl, uh, it's an amazing story. It's a, it's a heartbreaking story. You know, she, um, when she was younger, she, her parents didn't take her to church, really. So she went on her own. Imagine this, a, a young teenager. And she wanted to get baptized. And she wanted to get plugged in. But her parents didn't really follow. And they just kind of neglected that. Now, I'm not trying to put the parents down because I know, unfortunately, you know, we go through lapses of faith like that. But then because of that, um, what ended up happening eventually was the little girl turned to like the, uh, the dark side, you know. And next thing you know, she's painting pentagrams on her clothes. And now she also is in uh, mental health uh, care. And so... You know, I was thinking, well, the life of a pastor, and, you know, that doesn't even include all the text messages. There's a ton of things, right? And so, um, but then I started thinking, I'm all, that's not just my life. That's your life too, huh? You guys are getting all those prayer requests. You guys have so much going on. You guys are experiencing it as well. And so, you know, if I had to share like one message, you know, before I'm gone, I would have to say two things. Number one, Jesus is coming, so we need to be ready. Amen? He, I, I think the, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 36, that, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels or of heaven, but my Father only. And so I can't be up here and saying, hey, I want to let you guys know Jesus is coming this month or this week. Um, you know, I can't say for sure, but I, I think that he, he might. I think that we're on the brink of his return. I, I think that we need to share that with you. And so in one sense, I was thinking, okay, Lord, I, we, we want to tell them that. You know, Isaiah was telling them, hey, God's judgment is coming. Jeremiah was telling them, hey, God's judgment is coming. The Lord is coming. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a scary thought for those who don't know the Lord, but it's a comforting thought for those who do. You know, one day there'll be no more pain or sin or so sorrow or sickness or, or death or devil. Um, one of the brothers was alluding to it, right? Revelation chapter 21. So, you know, Jesus is coming. That's one thing I want to say. And that's almost like, if I could just say it this, because how many of you know I'm weird? I'm just curious, you guys. <laughs> oh, you know I'm weird, right? <laughs> okay, so I would just say, come to me. That's what I would say. Jesus, you see what's going on in Afghanistan. You see what's going on in Haiti. 
Lord, you see what's going on as they're parading down the streets with their fists up towards you. You see that, Lord. And so there's that part of me, you know, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Revelation also says, come to me, Lord, Maranatha, come. So I feel like that's what I want to say today. Come to me, Jesus is coming. But I also feel like I want to say what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said, come to me, didn't he? He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There might be some here today who are struggling with depression. There might be some here today who are struggling with anxiety. There might be some here today who have contemplated suicide. There might be some here today, and I got them walking in the doors throughout the week where they are struggling with crystal meth. Uh, we get phone calls, you know, there's a marriage on the rocks, another one and another one because so-and-so husband's looking at pornography. You know, there's things sometimes we can't even explain. We don't know why we're hurting. You know, I feel like so much has gone on in the world. There might be some here today who are grieving the loss of a loved one. You know, and I know how that feels. You know, my dad went home to be with the Lord last year. And I still, I still like, man, you can't pick up the phone and call him. I know you guys are hurting. I know that. So what I want to do today is I want to just say, Lord, um, we know you're coming, so we're going to talk about that. But, but also, hopefully, in, in the midst of it is that people would come to you, people who are hurting, people who are struggling, people who need your touch. You know, That's my prayer today because I was telling Henry yesterday, I said, man, one thing you can always guarantee, one thing you know for uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is whenever you're teaching, it doesn't matter who, I mean, if you got more than just a couple, then you know there are people there that are hurting. There's just no doubt about it. I was thinking about so much has gone on in the world, you know, because we're created to be out there. We're created to be social creatures. We're created to be able to smile and see all that kind of stuff. And so that has, you know, definitely been something that has not been what we would call normal. And then, you know, I was also thinking about how, you know, when we look at the, the world that's going on, there's a lot of uncertainties. And you know, we live now in a, in a society where you don't know what to believe. You don't know who to believe. We, uh, after this COVID, I don't think we'll, it'll never be the same. It, life will never. We're, we're thinking, okay, give it a little more time, give it a little more time, and eventually it's going to get back to normal. I don't think there will ever be another normal. Not like we used to know it. I don't think so. I think that things, it, it, it could very possibly be that they will continue to darken because of the spirit of the Antichrist and darken and darken and darken until the day the Lord comes. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's, so, so much is going on, so much is going on that then when we get hit with another trial and whatever that trial might be, maybe you lost your job or maybe you got injured or just things that we would call maybe a normal trial, uh, different things, it almost feels like it's accumulated so much that it, we just can't bear it anymore because of all that we've gone through. And so I, I wanted to just, I, I want to I just touch on that with you guys today and, and, you know, just praying that God will put inside of you a, a response. You know, remember, we're, we're praying, come to me, Jesus, come. We are praying that because 
There isn't a man, there isn't a politician, there isn't a government, there isn't an answer. We have all the machinery now, we have all the technology now, and things are supposed to get better now, but they haven't. 11% of the world goes to bed every single night with nothing in their stomachs. 125,000 babies are aborted every single day. Things are not getting better. We're getting busier, which makes things even worse because that takes its toll on our marriage and that takes its toll on our families. And so, you guys, all I know is this. I want Jesus to come. I want him to come. Do you guys want him to come? Some of you guys are like, no, just wait a little longer. <laughs> I've talked to single people, and they're like, no, no, it's not yet. Just, Lord, a little longer, and then you can come. Let me tell you, single people, if the Lord comes, believe you me, it's going to be 130,000% better than any of the dreams that you can have that you can live on planet Earth. And so we should all have that desire inside of us, you know, that, that the Lord would come. You know, I've told you guys this before. Um, but I always, you know, I, I, I like that little story of the little girl who was talking to her mom about the Lord's return. And she said, Mommy, uh, is Jesus coming soon? And she said, yes, Jesus is coming soon. Mommy, is, can Jesus come today? And mom said, yes, Jesus can even come today. And then the little girl said, Mommy, will you comb my hair? <laughs> will you brush my hair? And I think we should have that mentality, Lord, like you might, I see it, you might come today. I really want to be ready. I really want to be ready. That's how we should be living our life in the light of the Lord's imminent return. You know, and so here in, in Matthew 24, we have the, it's called the Olivet Discourse, and it says in verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so now if you've gone to Israel, you can visualize the whole thing. They crossed through the Kidron Valley. They're looking up from the Mount of Olives. They're looking at the temple the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so when you look at the whole chapter, which we're not going to do today, but when you look at the whole chapter, there's different questions. One is when are you, this temple is, when's it going to get destroyed, you know, stone thrown down? But then they, they knew the most repeated doctrine in the Bible is the second coming of the Christ. And so they, um, you know, they said, well, when, when's your coming? When, when will the end of the age be? So as you're going through the Olivet Discourse, you have to keep in mind there's different questions involved. And so the Lord says in verse 4, he said to them, take heed and that, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now that word sorrow is right there. Another translation, it's birth pangs. And so you know how 
a woman gives birth, and so, you know, at first when it begins, she gets whatever, the Braxton Hicks or different uh, types of pains. And then eventually, though, as time gets closer, the pain becomes more intense and they become more frequent. And, and what we're seeing now with the earthquakes, what we're seeing now with the famines, what we're seeing now with the pestilences, it's just the beginning of birth pangs. It's just the beginning, right? What we see now with the, the global um, cooperation, the global communication, well, that's all, those are all the beginnings of birth pangs. And that's what he says right here. It's, it's, it's the beginning of sorrows. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Another thing to keep in mind when you're reading the Olivet Discourse is it's largely Jewish, very Jewish. And so probably right there he's referencing, you know, to what can happen during the tribulation period, especially the Jews who are preaching the name of Jesus. But he says in verse 10, and then many will offend, will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of this kingdom, of the kingdom, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And of course, we know the end is actually the beginning. Huh? That's going to be heaven, man. And I hope you guys are excited about that. But before then, it's, it's going to be like giving birth. Now, you gals that gave birth, was that a comfortable thing for you? It hurt. <laughs> That's going to what it's going to hurt. We're going to go through that season, man. We see, first of all, the observation here. Um, in Mark 13, it says in verse 1, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. I mean, basically, when they were looking at the temple, they were saying, Look at how magnificent it is, the impressive stones in all of these walls. And the temple was spectacular. Um, these were amazing stones, epic. Clearly, if you guys study the temple, it's one of the wonders of the world. Uh, one of the most amazing things ever made, made by man for Solomon. And then uh, we know Herod uh, came. Pastor Chuck said this, the temple complex that Herod the Great built was one of the most impressive buildings ever in history. It wasn't just a temple, but it included many other buildings, a massive retaining wall all around and a 300-foot bridge that led up to it. Uh, some stones were 20 feet tall, 40 feet wide. They were cut perfectly at a separate site, and then they were transported and joined together just so, so that the, no mortar or cement were necessary, no superglue. I mean, the way that they cut them, it just kept them all together. One stone they recently excavated in Jerusalem was found to weigh 400 tons. A modern-day crane can only lift up five tons. How did they do this? It was an absolute wonder. You know, the gates were 130 feet high, made of pure brass. The temple itself stood 90 feet high. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he said that the temple was so magnificent that you'd be able to see it from 30 miles away. There was gold everywhere. They say that the value of the gold of that temple was worth a trillion dollars. So it's understandable that the disciples said, hey, Lord, check out this building. It's amazing. And then the, for the Lord to say, that's oh, not that amazing. <laughs> One day, every stone is going to be taken down. 
And so uh, we read that in verse 2 of Matthew 24, uh, Jesus uh, said to them, Do you see all these things, not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, that one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be uh, thrown down. Now you would figure that that temple would stand. How many of you have been to Israel? I'm just curious. How many have been to Israel? The temple's not there, huh? <laughs> you got the flat land upon which it was built. You got the Temple Mount, but the temple. Jesus' words were true, even though I wonder if those disciples believed him at the time. Who would tear this temple down? But it ended up happening. You know, Jesus gave us, after the observation, the proclamation, um, it's etched in history. We know it, that in the year 70 AD, after the Roman siege of Jerusalem, led by General Titus, 1.1 million Jews died. The temple was set on fire, and then the gold melted and made its way between the stones, and so the Roman army was instructed to break it down stone by stone and extract the trillion dollars worth of gold. It happened just like Jesus said. And so, you know, they're like, hey, Lord, check out this temple. He's ah, it's not that big of a deal. It'll be torn down one day. And so when that's all going on, and they're walking over across the way, they're sitting there at the beautiful Mount of Olives, they're looking over at it, it's uh, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. And they're like, Lord, tell us about this. Tell us, when will you know the future? When will this be? And, and, and Lord, while you're at it, tell us about your coming and about the end of the world, which I believe is the time, that, the season that we live in now. Now, don't call me doom and gloom. I'm just trying, you know, my pastor, when I started off, I remember it was before the internet. That's how old I am. I mean, it when, that was when computers were like the size of rooms, man. And uh, now they have computers in their, on their phones, and they got these microchips, and they have the ability, like I said earlier, and the, even the, the desire to cooperate globally and communicate globally. I mean, just the microchip, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Just, it, I really do have to tell you that I, as a pastor, I, I, I believe with all my heart that we are, are living in the last of the last days, and we need to be ready. You know, one of the main reasons I, I believe it is just because of the blatant sin that people, like I said earlier, they got their fists, who are you pointing it up to? They, you know, they're, what they used to do in, in back streets and whatever back alleys, now they're strutting down in parades. So the judgment of God is overdue. So, you know, they asked him about that. You know, they're there overlooking the, the complex, and, and, and what we see is that the Lord then gives them this amazing answer. And, you know, there's no doubt they had heard bits and pieces over the years from the lips of the Lord, maybe even the writings of the Word in the Old Testament. But now Jesus' statement is stirs up a desire for them to know more about prophecy. And I think it's good for us to have the desire to know about prophecy. You know, 25% of the Bible is prophetic. And we know the most repeated prophetical doctrine in the Bible is the second coming of Jesus. And so here the Lord gives us uh, signs. He gives us uh, the signs of, uh, number one, false Christ, wars and rumors of wars. When he says nation against nation, the Greek word is ethnos, where we get our word ethnicity or ethnic. And that talks about racism. Uh, we talk about famines and kingdom against kingdom and pestilences and earthquakes. And he mentioned the, the, the tribulation or great tribulation offenses where there's betrayal, even division among families. And as a pastor, that's another thing. You guys have probably seen it too. 
you know, even this vaccine, virus, all, even that separated families. It's amazing to me how, how this world, what we live in, you know, the, the false prophets of lawlessness and lack of love. Do you guys know what lawlessness is, right? Lawlessness, I think in one sense you could say, well, it's not doing God's law, but it's also just this whole not doing government's law, not doing man's law. It's anarchy, and we got a little taste of it, didn't we, during the riots? We got a little taste of what anarchy is. And so when there's lawlessness, when there's like no rule, when it's chaos like that, and, and, and you know, when you get people committing crimes, you know, it's no big deal, then it, it affects everybody. I mean, this is a silly, probably a silly example, but I remember there was a time if anyone, if anyone was broken down on the side of the road, then people would just automatically pull over to help them, right? But they don't do that as much nowadays. And why is that? Don't say AAA. Now, why is that? <laughs> it's, I think some of it has to do with, hey, you just never know if that person is setting me up. You know, now, some of you guys are probably still good Samaritans, but it's different. I mean, it's crazy. Even like you see someone driving and they don't have their lights on. You might, you, you used to blink your lights on them, but now they might shoot you. I mean, that we're talking about, that's what lawlessness does. It, it then begins to limit us in, in our love. I mean, there was a time, how many of you, just out of curiosity, when you grew up, you didn't lock your doors and your front doors? I'm just, you know, I, I remember I grew up and my aunt didn't lock her door. We never worried about it. Now we got like locks and alarms and cameras and fences and... And it just changes everything. The, the love part. It, it, we want it to love, but I think that it just takes its toll and you wonder, Lord, who can I love on in that sense? And so we're living, we're, we're in the birth pangs. You know, he talks about false Christ right here. People like Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Sun Young Moon. I, mean, I can give you a list of whole bunch of people, David Koresh, but um, at the end of the day, there are so many false messiahs. Collectively, they're numbering in the millions. Uh, Jesus said they would deceive. And in the 20th century alone, now we're getting, okay, closer to the end. There's 1,100 people of national notoriety who publicly proclaim to be the Messiah. So the Lord says, okay, I want you to know that when I come, when I'm coming, there's going to be more these guys that say they're the, they're the Christ, they're going to say they're Jesus. Well, in, in that last century, 1,100. So, you know, the news is out. You know, wars and rumors of wars. You would think that we would have more peace now, but in the last 100 years, we've seen more wars than any time in recorded history. According to one article, the world is becoming more dangerous. They say that there's probably just 10 countries that can actually be considered completely free of conflict. The 2021, the Global Peace Index, so it's not like a Christian thing, this is secular stuff, indicates that um, Iceland, New Zealand, Portugal, Austria, Denmark are the most peaceful countries, and then it gives a list of the less peaceful countries like Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, South Sudan, Yemen. They, what they find is that the, the last decade, long-term findings include a less peaceful world over the last decade. Imagine that. You have conflict in the Middle East. You've got terrorist incidents. Um, there are now fewer countries in the world which are categorized as being at peace. 
And not just the wars, but the rumors of wars, right? North Korea, what's going to happen there? You wonder about Russia, we're wondering about China, we're wondering about Iran, and the list goes on and on and on. So the wars and rumors of the wars, the false Christ, and then I just, you know, for us, for God to just say, look what's going on in Afghanistan. Boom. You know, and just, we're there for 20 years, and, you know, if you're not going to finish the job, then don't start it. And now, the way that we bail out, what's going to happen to these women and children? What's going to happen to our American citizens? What's going to happen to those Afghanistan people that cooperated with us? I mean, it's an ugly situation. Are we going to go back in? Will anyone else help them? One of the things that we know is, I, is you know, people will say, well, yeah, we should have never been there. We should get out because it's not our war. It reminds me kind of the, 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 of the covenant that Joshua made with the Gibeonites. You can argue as farther whether or not it's our war, but he did make a covenant with them. And so when the time came and others attacked Gibeon, Joshua and Israel, they were there. So I, all I know is that you, if you leave extremists who want to now rule the world with Sharia law, you know, where does it end? It doesn't end there. You know, when I was talking to my wife about this, because she's getting ready for the book of Habakkuk, she was like, Lord, um, we were talking about the book, and you guys know the book of Habakkuk, right? And you don't, um, well, you, some of you know. It was like, the, you know, the prophet was like, man, our country's so bad. Our country is so bad. Lord, when are you going to judge the country? Because they're so bad. And then the Lord said, oh, okay, all right, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to judge the country. And Habakkuk said, not the Babylonians. They're worse. They're wicked. They're evil. Now, again, I, I, I love my country. I love my country. But I believe when God raptures the church out and there's no longer the restraining you know, force of the Holy Spirit working through the church, there's no longer the salt to be the preservative in the world, then what we find, man, is that you know our our our, our nation is going to be judged. You know, there's a, a passage in Isaiah chapter five and verse twenty-five, where it talks about how God's hand is poised to strike. So I was thinking about this, and again, it's just me being weird, but like we're like this. We got our fists. I went to the city council meeting in Almani the other day, and they were putting up their fists like this, and I'm like, who are you pointing to, anyways? God's like this. God's like, get ready. You know, so um, that's, we deserve it. So it all begins to line up. You know, what we see going on in Afghanistan today, it just, it just breaks my heart. You know, most would think that the world would have matured by now, that there'd be peace on earth. But what we find is that the communication has not brought community. It has not brought trans tranquility. You have the racial tension. Oh my gosh, I can't believe what time it is already. You have the racial tension. You know, um, you know, we, we saw that. We went through all that, right? And I don't know where you guys are. Some of you guys are probably, yes, there is a racial problem. Others of you are like, well, it's not as bad as they're saying it is. I think it's within us. I think that we are just a, by nature fallen, divisive people, and we have to go against the grain and let God do a work in our life. But what, what I find is either way, what we find, whether it's real and still there and 
you know, whether it's something that they're even stirring up because of the fact that they're making this thing about it, it's there. Billy Graham said, if I could solve one social issue in the world, because he's been around the world, he said it would be that racial tension, kingdom against kingdom, famines all around the world. Uh, today, like I said, 11% of the world is starving. 821 million people go to bed every single night with a empty stomachs. 18,000 children die every day of starvation and malnutrition. So we like, we're like, oh, the Lord was wrong on that one. Why? Because we are eating so much food. We have so much food. Most of us here, we throw it away left and right. We don't realize what Jesus said is true. You know, the false Christ, all these things that we see, the, the pestilence. I mean, we're living in a pandemic. We are living in a pandemic. You know, some people say, well, it's not that bad. It's just the, the common cold. Well, tell that to the little girl whose dad died in her, in her, when she was right there looking at him. I know that little girl. You know, it, it's true. It's there. It's different. I'm not saying we shouldn't live lives. We got to live our lives. We got to live our lives. We can't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. But it's real. It's there. It's a sign. It's God saying, I'm coming soon. I mean, we're living in the middle of it. You know, earthquakes. In the 1940s, there were 51 measured earthquakes above Richter 6. In the 50s, there were 475. In the, the 80s, there were 1,075. As a matter of fact, uh, science in the 1990s, earthquakes increased to over 1,500 in that decade. I'm amazed even that we can even measure earthquakes. But, but they're increasing in frequency. They're increasing in intensity. I, I couldn't help but think of Haiti, you know, what's going on over there. We have, I think, some pictures, and it just breaks your heart. August 14th, 7.2 earthquake, 2,189 dead, 12,268 injured, 332 missing. We find Haiti, first the earthquake, then the hurricane. Now they're, uh, they're bracing for an outbreak of disease. 40% of the 12 million people in Haiti, 40% of them need emergency humanitarian assistance now. Question is, will they get it? Probably not. Jesus, we need Jesus to come. And he's telling us these things. He's saying, these are my, Lord, when are you going to come? What's the sign that, you know, we're reaching the end of the world? What are those birth pangs? I mean, those of you who are pregnant, you're like, is my baby coming? And then you start feeling it. You're like, yeah, I think my baby's coming. The Lord is just saying, I'm coming. You know, we have so much going on. Our heart breaks in all this. You know, we see, if I had to give, like, what's the biggest sign of all? I would say the biggest sign of all is Israel. How in 1948, after 2,000 years of not being a nation, imagine that, they came back into the land and they became a nation. It's never happened in the history of the world where a people was spread and you know, lost their land and then boom, they got it back. But, but that was a, a fulfillment of prophecy in Ezekiel 36 and 37. Mark 13, 28 through 30 says, the generation that sees this come to pass. The generation that sees it, I'm coming, man. 
So for me, I think of Israel as one of the biggest things. So we don't have a lot of time. I encourage you guys study these things out. The microchip that that one really um, that one fascinates me. In, in Revelation chapter thirteen, if you want to turn there real quick. It says in Revelation 13, in verse 16, speaking of the Antichrist, so this is during the tribulation period, we're already raptured, we're already out of here. So we won't be here, but there's going to be seven years of tribulation, there's going to be a one world ruler who will rule the world, he'll be the leader, I mean, first it's going to be divided up into ten sections, and you know, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the 10 stone, the ten toes. And, you know, it's just amazing how, uh, you know, it talks about the different world powers. Well, that last one will be the revived Roman Empire out of which will come the Antichrist. And it says in Revelation 13, 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for he, it is the number of, of a man. His number is 666. Now, um, we have a picture here, I think we do. Yeah, you guys see that. Look at how simple that is. Just put a, I mean, I mean, how many of you guys, I'm, I'm just curious, do you guys ever pay for your groceries with your phone? Does anybody here ever do that? A couple of you, I do. I hope you're not mad at me for that, but I, I do. <laughs> you can pay with your watch. You guys know you can pay for your watch, right? But what happens when my phone breaks? Or what happens when I left it in the car? Or what happens, you know, so you just put a little microchip right there. To me, I don't know. It kind of makes perfect sense. Hey, are you vaccinated? Hey, are you vaccinated? Well, you got the card. Well, now they're making fake cards. Hey, I have an idea. Let's do it. Let's just, just do it there. And then you come on in and just, are you vaccinated? Yes. You guys know, I mean, like even, any of you guys see the Raiders-Ram game yesterday? It's a very good ending. Anyways, um, <laughs> what we find is that they, they don't take cash. You know, and when, w when would you ever think there'd be a time where you can't buy or sell unless you get this little something on, on, your, on, your, on your hand? Now, the interesting thing is this, the 666 part of it, we don't know for sure, but, you know, what's the number of God? Seven. Seven Seven's the number of God. Six is the number of man. Now, some have speculated that 666, what it means is really just man's, like, greatest invention. Like, you know, this guy, this is where he figured it all out. And I think that if you were to say something, you know, it might be the computer. Wow, the way that they do this computer thing, that this computer chip, now it's so small, you can insert it into the hand. And so, not, not to freak anybody out, um, they even have this one, the, the, our, our, our country is working on something that you can insert under the skin that will actually be able to t detect whether or not you have the coronavirus. Imagine that. Doesn't it all seem to be lining up? We're getting a scene, the government the pressure of the government, the mandates of the government. And I know that's, we got different people on different sides, but just the way that, that even in a place like the United States of America, the most free country in the whole wide world, this is why everybody from all other places wants to come here because we are so free. But even us, we're, we're, 
we're kind of coming to a place where, hey, you have to do this if you want to buy or sell, if you want to live. So uh, these are all the signs of the times, the global communication and cooperation, the, the outright, and the, the, to me, the, it's just the outright sin. Uh, the outright, blatant, in-your-face sin. Doesn't that tell you? I mean, how many of you have had kids? You're like, okay, you crossed the line. You need a thangkaso. You need a spanking, right? That's where we are. So uh, I look at, and, and, and not, it's not like I want like, God to beat people up. You know, for us as a church, we know that since the Lord is coming, I want to be ready, and I want to reach as many people as I can. So, like I said, you know, Lord, come to me. Lord, come to me. And then let me just close with the Lord Jesus saying to you, come to me. I made you, and I love you. Every heartbeat, I give to you. Every breath of oxygen, the lungs, in, the air in your lungs, that's from me. I made you in your image, in God's image. Before I flung a star into the sky, I thought of you. And we have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've separated ourselves from him, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so maybe you're here today, and um, you don't know the Lord, but, but chances are most of you do. But if you don't know the Lord, what I want to do is I want to offer you an invitation to give your life to Christ today before it's too late. He died for you and he rose again. You can have your sins washed away if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But for a lot of you here, just in case you're hurting, you're struggling, um, what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and we'll turn there real quick. He said in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are, and are heavy laden and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let me just close with this. You're out there, you're hurting, you're struggling, you're burdened. Maybe something's going on with your family, your kids, your body. You're afraid, you're anxious, depressed, whatever it might be. I mean, it can be a million different things. It's a variety of trials that we can have. Jesus extends an invitation. Not from Manny. It's not from man. Not from the church. It's from Jesus. I'm inviting you. Come to me. And I want to close the service that way with an invitation from Jesus that if you need him today to touch you, if you need him to give you peace. Yesterday, my wife was talking about how she was listening to a study and it starts with, with problems that leads to pain, that sometimes leads to panic. But then if you go to prayer, then you'll end up with peace. That's what can happen. And so that's what he wants to give to you today.